Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it so much. It is certainly a blessing to be with you folks tonight. When I walked in and I saw Pastor, I wasn't expecting someone so short. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean so tall. But uh, what a blessing to be able to, to meet him and to meet you folks. It's just a joy to be here. And uh, whenever I meet a tall pastor, <clears throat> I always wonder how tall the pulpit is. Because I have been in churches where they are almost too tall for me. I mean, I can hide well behind them. But uh, it has just been a joy to be able to uh, meet you folks and just receiving us so graciously and just what a privilege to be here tonight. Thank you for supporting Levi. He needs somebody to take care of him. And uh, But he's a good young man. We praise the Lord for him. And uh, he's doing a tremendous job. And we just thank you that he's working with you guys and that, uh, you know, the Lord will continue to use him to bolster up the ministry here and uh, to enlarge your coast. And uh, so we just uh, are so thankful for that as well. And for the Farleys, for supporting them. What a blessing it is. And uh, uh, I was talking to Pastor a little bit. <clears throat> Uh, I have a presentation that I didn't bring with me. Actually, I thought I had it when I was talking to Pastor earlier. <clears throat> and then I realized that it's with my computer back in, in the motel room. And so I didn't have it with me anyway tonight. But uh, So we'll just kind of talk a little bit about IPM. I understand that you know IPM through Levi, but maybe not a whole lot about the board itself. So we'll take a few minutes to talk about the mission board itself, and then we'll share from the Word of God tonight. But um, <clears throat> thank you for the music. Uh, it was such a blessing. I love being in the South. And uh, we live, people ask us where we're from, and I tell them we're from West Virginia. Now, that's further north than Georgia and Tennessee, but we're still below the Mason-Dixon line, okay? And uh, we just happen to live in Pennsylvania right now. And so I've had people ask me, <clears throat> they say, where are you from? Said, well, we're from West Virginia, but we live in Pennsylvania right now. And they say, well, in Hanover, if you're familiar with the Hanover area, probably not, many of you might be, but we're about a half hour east of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, about an hour and a half north of Baltimore. So we're right on the PA Maryland line. <clears throat> but they'll say, do you like Hanover? And I look at them and I say, do you want the truth? I'm a country boy, okay, from the heart. And uh, we now live two blocks from the square in Hanover. And it's almost too close where you can reach out my window and shake somebody's hand in, out their window. You know, I'm, I like the conveniences. But I would much rather, we would much rather be living in the country. And and uh, so I, I'll tell them, I'll say, no, I do not like Hanover. And they'll kind of look at me and it's like, I am satisfied in Hanover. This is where the Lord has us. That's no problem at all. But I don't have to like it, I don't guess. <laughs> but no, my heart, our heart is in West Virginia. We planted a church there in 1992. Pastored there for 15 years. The Lord called us into full-time missions. Never thought I'd be in a missionary, a missionary, although all of us are missionaries. But I never thought I'd be in, form, in a formal way in missions. But God had other plans. In 2008, we resigned from the ministry there in West Virginia and uh, stepped out in full-time missions work with International Partnership Ministries. We're now in our 14th year, and God has blessed in many, many ways. 
in providing and taking care of us and just a blessing to be able to serve God wherever we are. Uh, and really, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's <clears throat> getting the gospel out and serving the Lord wherever we are, using the talents that he's given to us to be able to spread the gospel to a lost and a dying and dark world. And that's getting darker and darker every day. I don't have to tell you that. We all understand that. IPM was established in 1982. As a matter of fact, we are celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. Out on the table, you'll see a, a, a large brochure. It's called um, uh, Built by God's Grace to Build for God's Glory. And so we have spent 40 years ministering with national church planters in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. We now have, I think, 53 national missionaries that are directly under the IPM umbrella that we minister with that go out and they train their men to plant churches and they go out and plant churches. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head the total number of churches uh, that are not directly under IPM's umbrella, if you understand what I'm saying, because we have a man in the Ivory Coast who has planted over 40 churches um, throughout his ministry there and other men. And so that's in many places. And so I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how many we have uh, under totally uh, that have been planted. But God has allowed us to travel overseas to work with our men, just as Levi has. And we partner alongside our men and work with them, helping them in many ways. One of those ways is such as Levi's doing here in children's ministries and helping our men, training them to reach their children. Uh, we have a deaf ministry where we train our men to reach their deaf. And uh, so we have an education department where our men will go in. Brother Farley is a member of our education department where they will go in for longer stays and teach and help in the colleges and the seminaries where I, when I go in, I'm there maybe a max of two weeks, but they'll go in for sometimes longer periods of time just to work with, with our men as well. But God in the department that I'm in is called the Church Mobilization Department with IPM. And so my ministry is more geared stateside in working with the American churches in getting our men into churches to meet pastors, to get pastors fellowships where they can rub shoulders with American, American pastors, uh, good fundamental pastors, uh, Christian colleges, things of that nature, and uh, give them meetings to maybe help support them a little bit. Uh, as they travel around it. We also set our guys up on a four-year cycle where they'll come once every four years. We've not been able to have any of our men over because of COVID so far. So Lord willing, we're looking to be able to have them start coming back next year and uh, just different logistical problems and things that uh, are taking place that we've just not been able to get our men over uh, to IPM. So my ministry carries the responsibilities of working with these men that are coming over to the states. We, we begin working with them about a year out before they'll come over. So we'll start working with our men very shortly that are to come over next August. And so we've got to make sure they have all their proper documentation, uh, their health insurance, and that everything that they need uh, in order to come over. So we'll start working with them from that time until they get over here, while they're over here, and until they get home. And one of the things that we do, we're, we don't recruit like <clears throat> a normal American mission board. Um, we're kind of abnormal, if you if you think. <laughs> and it's no problem. You can think of us as weird. Yeah, that's fine. But anyway, what we do is we actually schedule men 
schedule their meetings for them. We set up their itineraries for them. They're here about between two and three months. That's all they're here. And so we set up their meetings for them before they come. We get hold of churches, such as maybe uh, your church or other surrounding churches, good churches, and uh, try to schedule meetings for them in an area. And then we'll transport them to the meetings. We'll take care of them. I have different ones that do do these things around the stage. We have a volunteer program where different ones around the country will do the same thing uh, in helping with our nationals while they're here in the States. So we set up their meetings. We get them here. We get all their their uh, international domestic flights for them. Uh, we set up their insurance for them. We literally become their moms and dads for two weeks to a month or so, however long they're with us. Now, for a volunteer, they wouldn't be with you for a month or whoever volunteers. But we have had them, my wife and I, for a month at a time. We've had Ivorians come in and they'll stop, they would stop at our front step and they would look at us and they would say, okay, you are now our mom and dad for the next two weeks. That's humbling. It's a blessing, though, to be able to rub shoulders with these gentle giants of the faith. Uh, in these foreign countries that are doing the work of the Lord and planting churches and growing their people and expanding their coasts uh, uh, throughout the country and beyond. Some of them are cross-cultural. They're working uh, in different countries, not even their own native country. We have one man that was born in Manipur, India, and he, the Lord called him to Nepal, uh, north of where he's at. And so he went into Nepal. He got his uh, uh, education and went into Nepal and he can go in and out of Nepal anytime without a passport. He doesn't need any paperwork. The only thing is he can't own property there. Well, that's not a problem. They'll put it in the name of the church or however they can do it over there. But God has allowed our men to do many things and to minister in many ways that we as Americans cannot. Uh, in, especially in the restricted access countries. We have many men in those countries. And you know what? They're there. They know the language. They know the culture. There's no culture shock. There's no language barrier. Uh, there are ministries, and they're able to reach people where we cannot. But partnering alongside IPM gives them the opportunity to be able to plant more churches at a faster rate than they could if they were just by themselves and didn't have any help, if that makes sense. And so uh, many of these men have already already have ministries when they come to us. They're referred to us basically by pastors and uh, Christian school uh, presidents and different things of that nature. And uh, so we do very little recruiting in the sense of going out and recruiting missionaries. People will ask me, well, what about American missionaries and uh, foreign missionaries then? And I said, what about them? They said, well, do you, what, do you do one or the other? I said, well, no, it's not that. It's both. Uh, God's still calling American missionaries. And if God's calling us to go, then we need to be willing to go. Here are my Lord, send me. You know, I'm volunteering, and so we still need to go. Uh, we have missionaries in um, oh, Kolkata, India, who have are planning deaf churches. Not a deaf ministry in a church, but deaf churches. And there's an American missionary that is working alongside our missionary there in Kolkata. So it's not a... a, a one or the other, it's both and, you know, and so uh, we're in it for the same cause. We do go to Christian colleges, uh, good colleges to not recruit, but we go to the colleges for exposure. And our point is to get in touch with the young men that are prospective pastors, prospective evangelists, uh, and their wives or whatever, so that get to know them, so that when after they get out of school, when they graduate, they already know who we are. 
we have a relationship with them. And so that's come full circle. And so it's great to be able to touch base with churches and find out they're a graduate from the school. They were there when we've been there uh, and these different kinds of things. And so the Lord has opened doors in that area as well. Um, as I said, we travel overseas at times and, and are able to minister with our guys. We'll go in and we'll teach modules for them in their Bible colleges and uh, different things of that nature. But I, I really believe here in these end times and the way the world is going that working with nationals is going to be the key uh, because of all, you take, for example, all of the the unrest over, we're seeing around the world now, not just in our country, but all around the world. And a lot, take Ukraine, for example. Uh, and a lot of the missionaries, the American missionaries, have left. But the Ukrainian missionaries are still there. And I get emails from different different ones of them and uh, different organizations of these men that are still there and they're still witnessing and they're still planting churches and they're still giving the gospel. We are living in the best times ever right now to give the gospel because it is a lot easier right now with everything and the uncertainties that are going on in the world and with the COVID that's out there uh, to be able to be a gospel witness because people are searching now more than ever for something. And folks, we've got the answer right here in the Word of God. We can't save them, but we can lead them to the one who can, can't we? And that's our ministry, no matter where we are. But I think one of the things, well, before I go any further, let me just, uh, there's, we have a table out there or uh, a display out there. And there's several pieces of information. Uh, you can help yourself to any of the information that's out there except the notebook in the middle of the table. Uh, that notebook has all 53 of our national missionaries in it. Feel free to thumb through there and see some of the statistics of some of our men and where they are and how they're ministering. Uh, there's some, uh, some brochures out there on our, on our anniversary. Uh, there's some brochures out there for, uh, both, uh, general brochures on the mission board itself. Uh, and then there's some, also some information out there on our volunteer program. Uh, which is called our VIP program. And when you hear the term VIP, what do you think of? Help me. Very important people or a very important person. That's not what it means. But anyway, it does. You are very important. We're, we're all very important. But what it means is uh, volunteer interactive partners. And that's our VIP program, whereas I was telling you earlier that we can partner together with our guys uh, when they're here in the States and different churches and their mission, their missions programs, uh, and just be able to rub shoulders with these missionaries and help them out while they're in the States. So there's a brochure out there on our VIP program, and there's also a blue card out there that has information on it where you can just, it's a contact card sort of, where you can look through that booklet and say, I want to pray for such and such a missionary. I want to adopt this missionary. I want to pray for them. Now, when I talk adopt a missionary, I don't mean just praying for them, but I mean communicating with them. We have technology today that we can do that. I'm talking about building a relationship with the missionary. Yeah, read their prayer letters, but visit with them. I can sit in my living room and visit with, with our Nepali missionaries clear around the world. And so we've got ways today that we can really uh, work with our and encourage our men and uh, our missionaries, and we, we just pray that we do that and continue to do that. Then there's some information out there as well on our ministry. There's a prayer card out there. Help yourself to that, and then a brochure 
regarding our ministry as well. It explains a little more uh, regarding what we do in IPM. And if you have any questions, ask my wife. She has all the answers, and she's always right. Thank you. I was hoping I would get at least one amen. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask us. Uh, we would love to answer those questions. And uh, uh, the Lord has been so good uh, in allowing us to minister uh, with national church planters. What a blessing it is to see these men grow and to extend their ministries and God's enlarging their coast for him. Uh, I think one of the things as we, we look at the world today, even in our own lives, is a privilege that we have been given as believers. And when I say pray for our missionaries, pray for us in ministry, pray for one another. That's what I want to look at tonight for just the next few moments, if we might, please. Because I think prayer is so vital to our lives, to our spiritual lives. Yet at the same time, I think it's been neglected by many of us as believers. My mind goes back to George Mueller. I'm sure everybody here knows that name of George, George Mueller, who was a uh, had the orphanages and prayed food in and had the faith of uh, a great man. And, and, and But it, we see his prayer life. If you've never read his his autobiography or his biography, you ought, to, you ought to sit down and read it and see how God used him. I think of, of many of the other uh, great men and women of the faith down through the years who uh, had great prayer lives. Now, they would tell you that they're not, that they're not much, that, you know, their prayer life wasn't all that it should be. But I think that any of us here tonight would probably have to say the same thing. I know I would. Uh, my prayer life, probably not 100% what it should be. I don't know that it ever will be, but I can continue to grow. And we can continue to grow in the Lord. But I think prayer is so, so important. So if you would take your Bibles with me for the next few moments tonight, and let's go to Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. And I want us to look there, and I want us to hold our finger there, and then go back to Second Chronicles chapter 7. And you probably, just by saying that much, know where I'm going. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3, we'll start there. And then we'll flip back and read Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Jeremiah says in, in chapter 33 and verse 3, God says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? Sure, many of us have. All right, let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And we find the word says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. How many of us have heard that verse before? Oh, yeah. The question comes to my mind in my own heart is regarding both of these verses is am I doing that? Have I done that? Probably so. But the question is, is am I doing that currently? I should be, shouldn't I? We all should be. 
So I want us to think a little bit, if we might, about prayer. And the interesting thing is, is as we see in 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, I'm not going to really pray until my heart's right. God says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall first of all humble themselves, that's not an easy task sometimes, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then it's conditional. Then what does he say? He says, then will I hear you. Until I get right, if there's any wickedness in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear me. And until I humble myself, until I seek his face, until I confess my sins, until I turn from my wicked ways, God's not going to hear me. But he tells us there, he says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. So what does he want us to do? Jeremiah 33, 3. He wants us to call unto him. Now, you can take that word call and it can be interchangeable with the word prayer, which is what I'm going to be doing tonight and, and using it. So if we if we needed to put a title to the message, we could simply say this is talking about a powerful prayer through a powerful God. Powerful prayer through a powerful God. And I believe that God desires for us to exercise this privilege that we have through praying for power but with power, the power of God. So let me share some thoughts. And as we think of some of these words as we go through this tonight, just very quickly, he says, call unto me and I will answer thee. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Now that word call actually means to call forth, to declare, to reach out, to grab hold of. It's that idea of crying unto the Lord. Hence, they called upon the Lord in prayer. But it's the idea of calling out, not just real quietly, but crying unto the Lord, praying unto God, giving our utmost to God in a verbal way, if you will. If I can use an illustration, we have three boys. Uh, There'll be 30, I forget, 30-something, 20-something, 32, 28, no, 30, 33, 31 and 29. I knew I was getting old, but I didn't think it was that quick. So our middle son, Caleb, uh, he was old enough to have a small uh, bicycle with training wheels. I mean, the real small one. We lived in the country at the time. We had a real long driveway, dirt driveway that that went out onto a two-lane highway, which was a straight stretch. It went into two four-lane highways, and it was a long, straight stretch where vehicles would just come flying through. And so I, I had to go to the store one day, and, and fathers, you know how it is when you need to go to the store. you got to get something. you got to get it quick. You know, you don't want to take the child with you, and you just want to get in the car and just go get it and get back and get back to work, right? Come on, shake your head yes for me. Yeah. Sure we do. So Caleb wanted to go, and I said, no, not this time. I've just got to run down real quick. It was just a mile down the road. Run down real quick, get this item, and I'll be right back. So I get in the car, head down the driveway, heading to the church, or to the, uh, to the store. And, uh, little did I know, Caleb got on his bike with training wheels and was gonna, and started following me to the store. <clears throat> down the driveway, turned left into the oncoming traffic lane of that highway, and was going to follow me to the store. 
Mandy saw what was going on. Now, Mandy at that time had just had our third son, Tim, and she was still, she was at home recovering from a C-section, and she was not able to move very quickly at all uh, yet. And so here she is seeing Caleb going down the driveway and coming out the door and crying out as loud as she could while she's trying to move as well to get where Caleb was to grab hold of him if she could, the idea of calling unto him. And so here he turns into the to the oncoming lane, and some pickup got, we don't know to this day who it was, but a pickup came down the road, stopped, the gentleman got out, picked Caleb and his bike up and all, the whole thing, and brought him across the old muddy ditch that we had there, set him down in the yard, got back in his truck and went off. Mandy was nowhere near to him. But she was calling as if she could get close enough to grab hold. That's the idea of calling God to grab hold of, to cry out for help. He says, call unto me, and that word unto is to, to call forth, to call unto me as you are approaching me or as you are coming near me. And what does he say? He said, I'll answer you. He said, I'll heed, I'll pay attention, I'll begin to respond. That's the idea of the word answer. He says, call to me and I will answer. Number one, I think we need to pray for God's presence. We need God's presence, don't we? We need a spiritual presence in our lives. God doesn't change, God doesn't move, we do. And we better turn around and come back to him. And we better stay with him. Why? Because he knows uh, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He knows all things, doesn't he? Who better to be with than the one that's sticking closer than a brother? Who better to be with who is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent? Who, who better to be with than our Heavenly Father? He says, I'll answer. His presence. I believe that God wants us and desires for us to get hold of him. I really believe that. He told his disciples what? Follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What is he saying? Get hold of me. Stay with me. Don't let go. Don't shy away. Don't turn away. Don't walk away. He told his disciples at one point, he said, will you also walk away? You can also go away well at the cross. I, I, I think and dare say that many of them walked away. But it's interesting, isn't it? We must get hold of God. He wants us to get hold of Him and be in His presence just as He desires to be in ours. We talk to Him how? Through prayer. Nothing new tonight. He talks to us how? Through His Word. Through his word. He says, I'll answer thee. And the idea is God will answer. You know, God will answer in one of four ways. God will say, no, not now. Well, that just goes wrong, rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? We were a child once. We didn't like it when mom and dad said no. Not now, but what? We want it right now, don't we? You can have your ice cream in a little bit. No, I want it now. Or he might say, no, because I love you too much. He knows what's good for us better than we do. Or he might say, yes, I thought you'd never ask. Or he might say, yes, and here's more. 
And so showers of blessing. But God desires to answer our prayers. It's not, it's not that we call upon him and he answers. It's not that I call and then I decide to answer myself for God because, you know, he's kind of taking a little too long to satisfy me. Uh-uh. That's not the idea. Calling unto him as we approach and are coming near him. He says, call unto me. And he says, I'll heed, I'll pay attention, I'll begin to respond. God desires to answer. You know, one thing we have to understand is that nothing has ever occurred to God. He already knows. The light bulb never comes on. It stays on, if you will, you know. I heard a preacher say one time he, that, that very saying, that nothing has ever occurred to God. But you know that the physical aspect of thinking about uh God's presence in our lives can come in different ways. You can feel, there's times that you can actually, I believe, feel God. Now, I'm not going charismatic, but I believe there's times that we can feel God's hand upon our lives. We can feel God moving upon our lives. I lost my father to leukemia. He was saved. I was his pastor, my mom's pastor at the time. And, uh, but uh, he went to be with the Lord in 2002. Two and a half years before that, he was diagnosed with leukemia, some form of a rare kind of leukemia. I'm not so sure it was. But they took him in the hospital, and they put him on IV chemo for seven days for 24 hours a day. Now, I don't think a normal person gets chemo 24 hours a day for seven days. I think, if I remember right, don't they just get a get a, a certain amount, and then they wait a week, and then they go back and get another treatment, and wait a week, something like that, for so many months? Now, they literally burned him up inside is what they did. It came to the point where my dad said, listen, that's, that, that's all. I want to go home. Uh, he wouldn't eat anymore. He started bleeding. They couldn't figure out where, where the blood was coming from. So they said, well, here's what we're going to do. We'll give him enough blood to get you guys home, and you may be able to spend a little bit of time with him before he passes on. Dad knew where he was going. Uh, he was saved. He had been saved for, for many years, and he knew where he was going. And so we get him home. We take him home. He starts eating. He stops bleeding. When he came home, they put him on hospice, and he came off of hospice. Two and a half years later, he goes to be with the Lord. You know, that just tells me that the Lord is the great physician, just as Scripture says. But when my dad went to be with the Lord, I had the privilege of of doing his funeral. I had the privilege of doing my mom's funeral just uh, about a year ago. Uh, But when he went to be with the Lord, even when my mom went to be with the Lord, um, there's a void that's left behind. You can prepare up to a certain point, but when that actually happens, there's a void that's left. Sure there is. And when dad went to be with the Lord, uh, and I had my dad's and my mom's funeral, but, you know, my dad's was first, of course, and I began to get uh, emails from our missionaries overseas <clears throat> that they were praying for us. And they were encouraging us. And many people were praying for us. You know, I've never had any more peace doing a funeral than I have my mom and dad's. That's God's presence. The power of his presence, I believe, in our lives. The prayer of God's people going up on our behalf. I think we need to pray for that presence. I think we need to pray, secondly, for God's stability especially in the day and age in which we live in, for his stability. What does he say there in our text? He says, call unto me and I'll answer thee. And then he says, and show thee 
great and mighty things. And that word show is to stand out boldly opposite, to manifest, to announce, to declare mighty, those things which are normally inaccessible to us, that we don't understand. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, if you want to flip over there with me, uh, very quickly, Scripture tells us there, Colossians 1 verse 23, Paul says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Listen, it's by faith, is it not? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you've ridden an elevator, you've got on there and you've pushed that button and you're hoping that that elevator will take you where you need to go. Right? You've exercised faith. Everybody in here exercised faith tonight when you came to church. You say, well, what do you mean? You sit down on a pew and you expect that pew to hold you. You say, oh, come on. Listen, I've seen some pews in some churches where they look nice, but if you looked at the innards of them, I'm not so sure they would hold you. Know, hold you. We, we, we live by faith every day in ways that we don't even think about. But God says, I'll show you great and mighty things. In Colossians 1 and verse 23, continuing in the faith, grounded and settled. Reminds me of another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And what he's talking about there is continue, as we continue in the faith, grounded the foundation and settled, it's unmovable, in Christ, you see? Working the work, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's spiritual stability that we need. You know, we need to be single-minded in our work. And as we think about that, Aspect of stability. The Bible, James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When I go back and I read Psalm 1, I read there about a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Those trees are well grounded. They're well settled. And you know, the single focus of a tree is to grow big and strong and glorify its creator. And the single focus, I believe, for us as believers is to grow strong according to 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and glorify our Savior. As one of our Haitian missionaries says, he says, make Jesus famous. And how true that is. And then lastly this evening, we need to pray for God's spiritual perception. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 81. And verse 10. Psalm 81 and verse 10. Anybody in here a dentist? Anybody a dentist assistant? Hygienist or anything like that? Okay. Well, if you were, it wouldn't really matter. But this reminds me of in Psalm 81 and verse 10. If you look at the scripture, the Bible says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. God says, if I brought you out of the land of Egypt, don't you think I can take care of you? Look what he says next there in that verse. Open thy mouth wide, and I will what? I will fill. You know what comes to my mind when I read that? 
We've just gone through springs. How many of you have had those pretty little bird nests, robin's nest, on your windowsill or in the crook of the tree? Anybody? And where you could see the eggs, and they were just so, yeah, they were so cute. And, and you left, your husband wanted to get rid of them because they, this one was in the dryer vent. And you wanted to get, you know, just, they put them in places you really don't want them, in the gutters and things like that. But especially, you know, they're in areas where you can see, oh, and they're so pretty, and they hatch. And they're, they're the ugliest things I've ever seen. They're hairy, aren't they? And wet and gooey, and and they're just, their head's bigger than the rest of their body, and they're just ugly. And you're looking at them, and all of a sudden, the mother comes, and as she's coming over to the nest, as soon as she hits the side of the nest, what happens? All three mouths open at the same time, don't they? Can't see the rest of the birds. Because of the big mouths. But what do they want? They want what mom's got, don't they? She's about ready to give them a warm meal. It's not fully digested yet, but it's going to be a warm meal. We're after, after lunch. If you haven't had supper yet, I'm sorry. But anyway, but they all want it, don't they? God says, open thy mouth wide. And let me fill it. Let me fill it. Oh, what a blessing to be able to have a sound mind to understand the Word of God and to read the Word of God and the desire that God has to fill us with His Word. He says, listen, I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Those things that we are not able to ascertain properly through our own vision. God, I believe, desires to manifest himself to us as his children. But we need the perception. We need the spiritual perception to see the lost and have a genuine compassion for them and to give them the gospel. We need the perception to see the homeless in need of shelter and food. And a lot of times that's all we think about. But listen, they need the gospel. We need the gospel to get them to Christ and give them the word. We need the perception to see the spiritual stress and on the pastor and his family and to be able to help them. We need the spiritual perception to see the needs of the missionaries both here and abroad and the needs that they have in their service of the great King of Kings. We need the spiritual perception to uh, 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 to see the needs of one another both physically and spiritually and emotionally. And I dare say that every single one of us here tonight depends on others to pray for them, right? I mean, if we were to split the church in half and I said, listen, you guys over here, you depend on this half of the church to pray for you, right? This side of the church, you depend on them. Pastor, you depend on them to pray for you. You depend on pastor to pray for for you. You see how it weaves together? We need one another praying for us. Oh, what a blessing. To have others pray. Oh, what a blessing it is for us to pray, to have the very access to the throne room of God Almighty. But wait a minute. I don't just have access to the throne room. You know what? I can go up and sit beside the king at his throne. Not on his throne, but I can get very near to him. Try doing that at the White House. Huh? We have somebody far greater, don't we? 
He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's our Heavenly Father. I read a book. I like to read history. I read a book um, several years ago by the name of the Billy. It was called The Billy Sunday Story. Billy Sunday was a great evangelist of old. And there was a quote in there that I never expected from, and us old-timers, we would know this name, by J. Edgar Hoover, who was the director of the FBI. Very <clears throat> unusual man. But this is a statement that I never thought I would hear come from his mouth. And it's a quote. I want to read it. I don't want to mess it up. That I never thought I would hear from him. And here's what he says about prayer. He says, quote, The spectacle of a nation praying is more awe-inspiring than the explosion of an atomic bomb. The force of prayer is greater than any possible combination of man-made or man-controlled powers because prayer is man's greatest means of tapping the infinite resources of God. Think about it. We have that kind of access to the power of God. How are we going to use it? I heard a preacher say, and I think it's very true. He said, how big your God is will determine how big your prayers are going to be. I don't know about you, but I serve a pretty big God. And he's answered some pretty big prayers in our lives. And I'll bet you that if you look back in your life not too long ago, you may very well see where God has answered some big prayers in your own lives or your family's lives or your extended family. You know, it doesn't, we don't have to go too far. Pray the Lord of the harvest, the Bible says, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Samuel Chadwick of old said this, made this statement. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He can't have us because we're gods. But his one concern, Samuel Chadwick has said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Can you imagine? Let's keep him trembling. Oh, what a privilege we have in the power that we have in prayer to our Heavenly Father. Let's keep the devil away. Where are we in our prayer life? I dare say we're not where we could be or should be. Pray for one another. Pray for us in ministry. We'll pray for you. Pray for missionaries. Pray for those that are spreading the gospel. And we'll pray together even now. Father, we come to you tonight thanking you for your love to us. What a privilege we have in you through your love on the cross of Calvary. Father, tonight we pray that you would just meet our needs. We thank you for the opportunity to share and get to know these dear folks so well and just pray that you would bless them, enlarge their coast, minister to them and through them, be with passion his wife and the families, Lord, that you would just use them in a mighty way, that anchor of hope might continue to be a beacon in the lighthouse that shines forth in Rossville and beyond. Might we see Jesus high and lifted up. 
and honor and glorify him and make him famous, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.